Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Welcome to episode 9. So for the past few weeks, I've been in El Salvador with my client, Mapache. One of the hallmarks of being a coffee producer or a green buyer is that you spend a lot of time in the car, a lot of time visiting farms and just driving back and forth. And it was during one of these long trips that Giancarlo and I were having a conversation and I was really enjoying it and realized it would be great to share it with all of you. Unfortunately, I only had my phone, so I thought better have that than nothing. So I started recording that very moment. In this audio, you'll hear that we're in the car, so there's a lot of road noise. If you can handle the quality of the audio, I hope you stick with us because he shares important perspectives of what it's like to be a fifth-generation coffee producer today. You know, when most people are leaving coffee, Giancarlo and his wife, Sophia, are doubling down. They're buying new farms and making significant investments in education and equipment, and they're bringing their two kids along with them. In this conversation, we talk about the role of social media, selling coffee in the local market. He shares some of his struggles with having his coffee farm and diseases and climate change and all of that good stuff that comes along with an agricultural product. We talk about coffee farm irrigation. He shares his Q-grader story. I confess my love for Ikawas. And we talk about shade trees and coffee competitions and so much more. There were a lot of factors that made coffee producing very easy five decades, six decades ago. Right now you have all the opposite. Mucha enfermedades, the price of the fertilizer is super expensive, labor is hard to get, a, a lot of insecurity, mm-hmm. political spectrum is like, you never know what's gonna happen. So there's a lot of things that, that, that makes it hard to grow coffee now. And it's not only about producing because now people have their brands, they're telling their story, they know their coffee. That's eso un punto muy importante. People six years ago didn't know what, they only knew the cherry. Mm-hmm. That's it. They didn't know what was in it. Coffee was served maybe only in the brewers, maybe no methods. Now there's muy amplio. And I think the producer maybe not, must not be an expert, but he has to know at least a bit of everything, you know? Mm-hmm. A bit of producing, a bit of processing, a bit of quality control, knowing their coffee, a bit of how to sell your coffee, how to do business internationally, how to use social media and technologies to, to get, a mes- get your message heard about what you're doing and why your coffee is good or whatever. You have to become like a problem solver in every way. Yeah. <laughs> also, a 60, I, will, I always say 60, 70, but I'm, that's just saying an amount of time. The coffee, the price of the coffee or the value of money was different. With, with a 20 bags of coffee, you could buy yourself a new car. Hmm. Yeah. Now, try buying yourself a car with 20 bags of coffee, you would buy like, I don't know what, but yeah. Do you think El Salvador is unique in terms of its producers? And 
I mean, I've, I've seen that the level of education and the level of resources here mm-hmm. is, is pretty different, but that's my... There are 24,000 producers here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe tw- between 21 and 22. 21,000, let's say 21,000. I think there's a very small circle of producers that are doing well and very well educated and know what they're doing and trying to, mm-hmm. to innovate or whatever. But the rest of the producers are... Okay, so we're just exposed to like a bubble. Mm-hmm. And the rest, the, the majority yep. is like the majority in the rest of the world. Yep. Okay. Yep. When I started to get into coffee, I I did it because I fell in love with the with the land, with the mountains, with the farms. Yeah, the farm that I started to work with had been in my family for several generations, so it was a place for me to to go and not only to see my family work at the farms, but also to have fun. So, um, since when I started working at, in the farms with with my wife. Yeah, our, our son and daughter also started coming with us every other day or, or, or over the weekends. So eh, I saw in, that a lot of people were abandoning coffee. Eh, people said that there was mo- no money in coffee and that coffee producing was not profitable anymore. And I saw a lot of farms just disappear, cut down from its roots, from its trunks, not only the coffee trees, but also the the shade shade trees and uh, that was really sad because um, <clears throat> all the resources that that the, the, the El Salvador has or the only resource that El Salvador has is the coffee forest so our message when we started to build the brand was that coffee was something that you can make a living out of and also you can have fun and do things differently that young generations can still have a life in coffee. We have been doing this for almost 15 years and uh, we can uh, say that it, it's not have been easy but we're still here and we're, we're still growing so there's still life in coffee. So how are you showing that? How are you showing that you can do something that you love and make a profit? These days, it's very easy to communicate and uh, tell your story. Uh, there's a lot of uh, technology and communication, social media. We have been uh, posting uh, since uh, I'm not sure when, but for a few years now. So what we try to do there, it's uh, show the world or everyday life in the farms, how coffee is grown, how coffee is produced, processed, shared uh, I think those tools uh, make it very easy to tell your story and to, for people to see that coffee can be a uh, 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 job you can like really make a life out of do you think that coffee producers now are underutilizing resources like Instagram definitely uh, Sadly, there's a lot of people who produce coffee that haven't had the opportunity to to go to maybe a private school or even a school and, and graduate from a, a college. So, or they don't have access to the internet or 
or or technologies that let you like use all these tools so for example in El Salvador we have more than 21,000 producers and I'm I'm just gonna guess but I'm sure that not even 200 of those 21,000 are using the tools you have to communicate what you're doing and and why your coffee should be a good coffee to 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 drink well a great coffee to try mm -hmm. but even of the small percentage that are able to use it like you like how do you, how do you approach your posts and your stories to try and stand out from because a lot more producers are doing it okay um i always say that in the coffee farms and in coffee there's so many stories everyday stories uh, to be told it's very easy to, to have different different kinds of things on your on your page so starting with the varieties the farms are so different from each other everyone has a different uh, way of of treating the farms uh, fertilizing the farms and uh, treating the shade trees uh, processing their coffees uh, all the people that work in the farms you know it's it's very fun to be around a lot of people who work there and they're very um, into what they're doing and they've been doing it for forever so uh, the teamwork the teamwork behind the farms is also like a like a huge story so I can I can say that every farmer has its own its own book uh, that's being written every day what I think that you guys do that's that's very unique is you're kind of all-encompassing most producers it's pretty easy to put up a picture of beautiful cherry mm -hmm. or trees and you do have that you have those pictures but you also show mill you show drying you show what you're doing on the weekend you mm -hmm. show cuppings like you're you're really trying to show the whole picture um, you show your trips you show all of the elements of being a coffee producer I think sometimes we get so narrow and so focused I think something else that you said also is that now in the world today as a producer you have to be so many more things you have mm -hmm. to know a little bit about a lot more steps and I think you do a good job of showing that um, another thing that I think that you guys do that Mapache has done really well that's unique is that you have a professional brand okay that you didn't um, you know just draw something even though you do have a background you still hired a professional company company so yeah. what was that process like why did you know that was important um, the, the branding it's very important and also the identity of a, of a brand because um, that's what makes well not only what makes uh, us different but uh, people can identify with a logo with a philosophy with a, a way of doing things and, and also the what we propose what we offer uh, we sell coffee but we also uh, tell the story behind the coffee and uh, I think that's what's important there's so much to tell what goes on every day, how hard it is to produce the cherries, how hard it is to process the cherries, but also how fun it is. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's 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 one thing that, that we have been able to do well. And it's because we're there every day, all day. And also we get the free time to, to do uh, fun stuff. El Salvador is such a small country 
that it's very easy to drive from the farm to the beach in 30 minutes. So why not? It's just taking <laughs> taking the time to do it. And it's so beautiful that obviously you want to post about it. But it's I think it's a state of mind, you know. You, you have the beach right there. Some people will say, hey, I'm, I'm too lazy to go. I don't want to go, but why not? <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, using social media and, and doing the branding and telling the story about a a family that it's growing coffee in this part of the world and uh, with all the struggles and the good and the bad it's 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 what we're doing so what are some of those struggles um right now i would say we have all kinds of struggles it might look very very cool and very nice and all fun in instagram but definitely diseases these days have mutated into into a certain uh, strains that are very hard to control so I think that's one of the biggest struggles all the farmers have uh, the diseases that you have to deal with with the plant and the roots of the plants also the 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 security here in El Salvador has been an issue for a long time it's getting a lot better but definitely has been a, a, a negative thing that we have to we have to deal with every day. Have you felt the effects of climate change? Definitely. Um, the rains are very unpredictable and rains are what give us the fruit, the flower and the fruit. So before, I, I still remember 15, 20 years ago, it used to start raining in March, April. And it was like a clock, like you knew it was gonna rain between March and April. Now rains, we have rains in January, February, every every time, all sorts of months, and that's very hard to manage. And so I think the rain is, is an interesting part because one of the things that you're doing to combat that is considering putting in an irrigation system in one farm, yeah. Yes, um, it would be ideal to have an irrigation system in all the farms, but not all the farms have a water source that can do that. We're trying to install one in one of the farms, and I think that will let us make the the farm blossom effectively, and that will traduce itself in, in a better yield of, of coffee in that farm. It's interesting to me because, you know, irrigating is pretty basic and natural mm -hmm. in so many other crops and even in in the wine industry it's at least in Napa in California it's understood that you irrigate that's mm -hmm. basic and when you don't that's when people get a lot of attention when you have they call them dry farm wines yeah. when they uh, don't have any inputs like that and so conversely I'm you know trying to draw these parallels between coffee and wine what is unique in this situation is the basic thing in wine and so by you having a considering putting in this irrigation like that is pretty unique i haven't i haven't been to any other farm that has that yes there are not many and uh that's that's one of the tricky things in coffee you depend on the weather a hundred percent and if the weather is not working eh, eh, for you um, you might lose a lot of crop and Farmers are exposed to those kinds of situations where the lack of rain or too much rain can damage the crop every single year. And that ha that's something we have seen in the past decade that 
the weather is so unpredictable that it rains when the coffees are when the coffee cherries are ripe so that will just mess up the cherry and the quality of the crop and when you need a rain for the for the plants to blossom or have flowering you don't get rain and and the flowers just burn so it's it's something that it's not in our hands you can do certain things to maybe uh, manage but it's not it's not a 100% sure that you're going to be able to to control that the effects mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know another thing that i think that's very unique that you guys do or that i've seen you put some effort into is having your coffee featured in coffee shops here in the neighborhood in in ataco in san salvador too why and is that important to you um i think what we need to do and uh, not only trying to sell our good coffees and export all our good coffees but try to build a, a good a, a loving coffee community locally where people share and people drink local coffees produced here in El Salvador so we have been trying to to get our coffees a, in most of the coffee shops around a the Apaneca y Lamentapec mountain range, but also the city. And I think that's important because uh, one way of helping producers is to get a better price here locally, not having to go through all the process of exporting the good coffees to, to I don't know where. So I think that's a good option. And also we need to start drinking good coffee. Uh, the Salvadoran specialty coffee scene is growing. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity to keep just uh, adding more coffees from other farms to the local market. So I think one of the reasons why, well, like you said, there's not a very strong local market in most producing countries. And so the best prices are generally exported. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's very reinforced to producers that the best price will always be exported price. Have you found that to be true? Have you been able to get good local prices? Yes, of course, at the same price, exactly the same price that I get paid for like good coffees outside, I get paid for good coffees locally. So it's a good option. It's just being able to do the work and uh, visiting all the shops and getting to know the people who roast the coffee, who serve the coffee, sharing your coffees with them and just uh, talking coffee that helps a lot and we're we, we've been very grateful for 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 meeting all these guys from that are serving our coffees around the country yeah i think that's really cool i've been really impressed with the local coffee scene here in terms of the viva espresso that we went mm. um nick and i went to biscuit factory yesterday mm -hmm. and we were just blown away by the quality of the coffees that was served and the level of information and education. I mean, it, yep. it wasn't just like a menu board behind the bar. It was a, a printed book that had the information of the farm, the producer name, the processing. Um, it had a lot more depth into what you were drinking. It, it's passion. And I think that's something we're sharing, not only the farmers, but also the people who have their own coffee shops here in El Salvador. They're really passionate about the about the product, about coffee, and they want to know the farmer. They want to go to the farms and hear the story about the farms, know how their coffee is being processed, why is it processed that way, when is it when is the coffee going to be ready to cup, how much of that coffee is going to be available for them. So it's it's a 
it's a very interesting thing and, 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 and I'm very happy that that's happening here in El Salvador. What about vertical integration? You own farms, you have your mill, your mm -hmm. wet mill, you're mm -hmm. looking to have a dry mill. In the future. In the future. Um, is there any more, like would you ever have a shop here locally? I mean, I've, we've thought about it, but it's just a thought. I, I mean, it's. I think it comes naturally. If you grow the fruit, you process the fruit, and then you cup the fruit and drink coffee every day. I mean, it, it comes out naturally. You want a coffee shop, but I'm not sure if we're going in that direction soon. Mm -hmm. At least not now. Well, and I think it also helps that you already have so many people doing a, a good job. Yeah. That it's not a need that you need to exactly to fill. Yeah. But it it would just be. For me, it feels important to have a little bit more consolidation mm -hmm. and not have so many individual little parts where everybody just this, does one really specialized thing and then kind of if the product moves on. Because mm -hmm. then I think you have trouble with that chain of custody and the transparency exactly. of what happened to this coffee when you just keep handing it off to somebody else. Exactly. So for me, like ultimate quality has a component of control along. Yeah many process and also responsibility you know like getting to know the people who are buying your coffee and getting to know the people who are roasting and then getting to know the people who are serving your coffee i think it's it's even the it's the farmer's responsibility to make sure that their coffee that they have worked on so hard and and process it in a right way and they have taken care of the product so much that it's fair that the roaster do a good job and the barista also does a good job. So I think that really helps the chain eh, that the farmer goes all the way to the barista and making sure that the product is being taken care of. Yeah, you know, I see so much travel in the other direction from roasters and importers and coming to producing countries to meet the farmers but you don't see as much of an exchange and mm -hmm. that's partially due to like the economic imbalance definitely but if if it's possible i'm sure you recommend producers to visit that's the only way of of, of knowing what's what's happening to your product and, and you'll learn so much about your product and how it is being treated and the options that you have to serve your coffee roast your coffee but the, the something you, you mentioned the, the people don't have opportunities most of the grower, growers don't have the chance to do that they don't have the chance to travel they don't have the chance to get to know who's buying their coffee who's roasting their coffee and obviously who's serving their coffee in the other side of the world so I think the the only way to to make coffee a uh, profitable for the farmer is trying to make that distance a shorter shorter exactly from the farmer to the consumer and uh, we don't really have the answer of how to do it but I think that's the only way to to make coffee profitable for the farmer well I think one way uh, that, I, that I think is really nice is when you can receive you know even if the producer can't travel to where the coffee is being roasted to have a coffee shipped back to them so that they can taste kind of the final product. I yes. Think shipping some coffee is a simple way to start seeing how it's interpreted mm -hmm. in different parts. Um, but I think another really powerful tool is the Ikawa that yes. lets producers sample roast and get a much more immediate feedback. So that's an investment that you've made. Yep. So talk about 
how long you've had it, how, how do you use your Ikawa? Okay, we purchased the first Ikawa maybe three years ago and uh, we have been using it to cup every single batch of coffee that we process. We are processing approximately between 200 and 300 batches of coffee every year. When we say batches, uh, coffee that was processed separately and that we treated like uh, separate coffee all the way to, to the dry mill. So, uh, yes, the Ikawa is a great tool because we get to know and cup and score our coffees and we can use that to communicate to our customers and our clients what we can offer to them this crop. If we didn't have that, that tool, we wouldn't know what's in there, what's in the product, how it tastes, what are the flavor notes, the aromas, eh, the score of the cup. So yeah, the, the Ikawa is, is, is a must-have tool, definitely. And it's, and it's um, not, if you compare it to a, to a barrel roaster, it's uh, more eh, economical. I don't know how to say mm -hmm. it in English. Mm -hmm. eh, no es tan cara. It's not that expensive. So Compared to a barrel roaster? Yeah, to a good barrel roaster, you know, like uh, maybe a Dietrich or Provator or something like that. Obviously, it's way more expensive. So, And the, also, the, a good thing about the Ikawa is that you can, like, eh, work with, with the, the application. You don't have to be there, like, como se dice monitoring the heat the airflow mm -hmm. and doing all that you have to do in a, in a normal roaster so you can be doing like three things at the same time and still be roasting your coffee i think it's a really good example of how technology can start to shorten that distance mm -hmm. between you know the farm and then and the final cup so the when you taste your coffee do you are you able to taste it early enough and then make different decisions rest of the season? Oh yes, we for example right now we have only received maybe 10% of the of the total output of the of this harvest and we are already cupping our first batches. So based on what we taste, we can still like adjust whatever what we're whatever we're doing maybe this process works better with this cherry from this farm with this variety so yeah definitely is a great tool to to make the right decisions on your processing and i think that's really important too because it's it's this great innovation it's this great you know piece of equipment but if you think about the alternative when you don't have that piece of equipment you almost you're blind the entire season exactly and that's standard most producers are producing their coffee blind, producing it the same way, they get to the end of the season and then maybe they get some feedback from an exporter or... Maybe, and in most cases, uh, you don't get it. So I think that's one of the most important things is knowing your product. How can you sell a product that you don't know uh, what it is? I mean, you're selling a beverage and you don't know how it tastes. How can you sell it? How can you brand it? How can you market it? It's, it's impossible. It's like... Coca-Cola trying to sell Coca-Cola and they don't know how it tastes. It's just ridiculous. So uh, to all the farmers, uh, everyone should have uh, at least uh, a basic idea of how to cup coffees and how to score coffees and how to communicate what you, what you taste in that coffee to the people interested in buying that coffee. And I think, you know, it, it's, the Akawa is an expensive instrument. It's 
two thousand, no, two three thousand dollars. Um, about three thousand approximately. Yeah. About three thousand dollars, and that's a significant investment. So, you know, not everybody, not every producer can have one. But I think that, and this is kind of to the concept of sharing information and sharing resources. You know, a group getting together, like. And purchasing one unit and everybody using it, or just and also what's amazing about this piece of equipment. I'm sorry, this sounds like an ad for the Akawa, but I'm just a huge <laughs> fan, huge fan of of what this tool allows, like the the doors that it's opened.、Mm. Um, is that it's so travel friendly. It's、yeah. it comes in its case, and you can take it from place to place. So it's not a piece of equipment that needs to live in one place. It's、exactly. something that many people can purchase and then share, and it can you know. Go to two different locations.、Yep. So you travel with yours, right? Yeah, this year in the Boston Ska, we we traveled with the Ikawa and approximately thirty green coffee samples. So、uh, we were roasting at the hotel two days prior to to the event. We rented a room in the in the Sky Expo, and we were able to to have a a few tables of our coffees, and it was so practical, like. Traveling with the roaster right there and the samples, it was was amazing.、Yeah. So going back to the theme of kind of sharing resources and sharing information, I feel like this current generation is more open to collaboration, and I've I've definitely seen that. I've seen that a lot more here in El Salvador than in other countries.、Um, but do you still feel like there is some some resistance? Um. Yes, definitely, because a. When there's a shift in the structure of a market, there's always winners and losers, and there's、uh, always a difficulties for people who are losing business. But I think the only way to to get this this industry、uh, or keep this industry producing coffee is is collaboration.、Uh, you mentioned it well, like having a Nicawa for a group of farmers that would be amazing. Or Or having your wet mill for a group of farmers. Also, I think grouping, grouping in farmers and, and millers and roasters, and just creating a community that wants to collaborate, not not cannibalize the market. So, I think that's the way to go now. And I, I think part of that insecurity can come from saying, "Well, if if my neighbor sells, you know, ten bags of specialty coffee, that's ten bags that I don't get to sell." Like it's a You know,、um, we say inelastic market、mm-hmm. where there's a finite number of buyers, but I don't think that's the case. I think that we're creating new coffee lovers, and I think that's part of you know my mission is to get people to drink better coffee. Yes, of course, and and with coffee, there are so many possibilities. A coffee can taste better if it's grown ten meters away from the other. So there's so many possibilities, and then you have the processing, and then you have the roasting. And then you can have the creativity of the baristas. So, if we should, well, I'm not saying that we are fighting, but if we collaborate, we are going to definitely make it better for coffee and, and for everyone involved in coffee. Are there any other ways that you're collaborating?、Um, we're receiving a lot of cherries from from several of our friends, and、uh, we're、uh, trying to like give them the flexibility to be able to process their coffees. In any way they want, and also not proce- not only processing their coffees, but doing all the quality control and the cupping, and we're doing it together.、Uh, we're discussing their coffees together and and doing the brainstorming and the and the and the cupping together really helps them 
uh, understand what their coffee is all about. So in terms of, of being able to evaluate a coffee, an important component of that, and one that I've talked about before, is getting your Q grader. Mm. So when did you get your Q grader and what was that process like? Okay, um, I, I already start. I had already started cupping here in El Salvador with a few friends, but um, I wanted to to get like uh, a formal education and know how to grade the coffees based on a method, and not only a method but a method that was recognized worldwide. So in 2017, I decided to sign up for the Q grader in Charleston. And it was a great experience, very demanding, but very eye-opening. Um, I We learned a lot. Uh, didn't get certified the first time. <laughs> you have to pass all the 20 exams with 80% and above, I think. And I had to, I had two retakes. And, uh, Which ones were they? Roast ID and the sugar browning part of, of the olfactory uh, section. So I did that, those two the next year in Texas. And then I got certified. And that's something that you use almost every day when you're cupping, right? Yes, we fill up the forms for every coffee we cup and we keep record of them. So it has really helped us because when we're um, talking to buyers or roasters or whoever is interested in knowing uh, the quality of the coffees and what's in there, they it, we have a common language and that's very important. Uh, because uh, sometimes there's uh, people who like really don't uh, understand how it works, but having a common language makes it very easy for everyone to to share what what the coffee uh, has. So, when you're cupping coffees, you're usually cupping your own that are coming off of the um, off of your farms, mm -hmm. and then your neighbors, and so you're tasting a lot of coffee from El Salvador, how do you have access to other countries so that you can kind of not get like a house palette? Okay. <laughs> when we travel, we, we try to, to buy some coffees and bring it down to El Salvador. And that's the that's the way we, we, we are able to taste some other coffees. We also go to the expos and try to taste all the origins available at the expos. And that really helps us benchmark our coffees with, with the other ones. Do you have some kind of favorites that have stood out? Coffees that you've tried that have really blown the, you away? That are not Salvadoran? Yes. <laughs> I, I've always liked the Ethiopians' coffees. I think they're eh, super bright, like very complete. They, they're they not miss, missing anything. Mm -hmm. So I really think the Ethiopians <laughs> have maybe the best, one of the best coffees in the world. I I agree. That's absolutely <laughs> my favorite. Um, I mean, I also love uh, Rwandan and, and Burundi coffees. Um, whenever I see that on a menu, like that's what I order because I'm I'm very drawn to that. But I think that's pretty common of a lot of um, I guess people that do what we do is mm -hmm. is liking those African coffees. But what I think is really interesting is when when someone who's not necessarily into specialty coffee, um, I'd say more of a a general coffee drinker tries an Ethiopian mm -hmm. a lot of the immediate feedback is oh, this doesn't taste like coffee it mm -hmm. does you know it's it's not familiar to mm -hmm. them and so I think it's really interesting that the birthplace of coffee most people's in the specialty industry's um, ideal of coffee mm -hmm. is what 90% of the world wouldn't recognize yes. as like traditional coffee yes. so where do you think that that shift came from of like what we 
And when I say we, like what a general coffee drinker thinks of as a coffee flavor. Um, I think it's because it's still very limited, the, the offer of like really good coffees. Um, people are still drinking coffee like like their parents did, like their grandparents did. And, and that was not necessarily like the best way of getting the best out of the coffee. Um, but right now with all the brewing methods, all the uh, competitions around the world, it, it has created a culture of trying to drink and, and brew the best coffee possible. And I think that's what's making the difference right now. There's um, more and more and more people every every day that want to understand what a good coffee tastes like, how good coffee tastes like. Oh, I was going to ask if you if you could do if you couldn't do coffee, if you had to choose a new career Oof. or do it over, what what do you see yourself doing? I would try to be a pro surfer, <laughs> travel the world to those beautiful islands everywhere. No, I, I would I would like really try to do something like that. I don't know, maybe make a living out of taking photography underwater or something like that. I mean, if I could get go pro surfing, but I'm not sure if I could, I would have tried it. Yeah, try to be around nature. Are there any lessons from surfing that you take and apply to coffee? Um, I think it's both ways. Um, growing coffee, you have to be very disciplined. You have to work really hard to be able to see the fruit of your labor. And I think in surfing, it's the same way. If you wanna um, like surf every other day, you have to like do the do your job and be there every morning early and work out and stay healthy and don't eat that and this, don't drink that much. So it's about the, the discipline, I think, and it goes both ways. Cool. So how often do you get to surf now? Um, I try to surf every other day. Um, right now that we're in the harvest season, it's, it's, it's a little harder. But uh, I try to go every other day. It's very close to the farm, so I, I haven't been there in a, in a few days, but I hope to get back soon. So when does your harvest season start? It starts in October and ends in March. And after March, even though the harvest season's over, you're still doing a lot of work, but what is it that you're doing for the coffee? Okay, it's, it's, it's amazing because we're still picking coffee in the higher altitude farms and we might have blossom in the lower altitudes at the same time. So we have the cherries coming from the, from the farms and processing and we are already having flowers in, the, in other farms. So we're always doing something before it flowers we try to prune the entire farm and just leave whatever material is gonna work that year it's gonna produce coffee and uh, also we have already sprayed a once a, a mix of fertilizer and fungicide to take care of the leaf rust yep those two tasks are basically the ones we try to finish before a blossom before the flowering and then you have the trade shows that you visit. Yep. Yeah, the trade shows are around that time in April. The first one, the Sky Expo in the US. Oh, let's talk about shade trees okay. and how that's important for you. Because okay. I've been seeing a lot of very bare, bare farms. Okay. Um, so the lower, for example, here in El Salvador, the lower you go, the more, the lower in altitude you go with, the, with your farm, the more shade trees you need. Um, we have um, two farms 
that need basically a two-story shade system. That means that you have like uh, smaller shade trees that will uh, have that that we will have maybe a higher volume of those in the farm, and then you have like bigger trees that will grow taller than those, but those are in, in, in lesser numbers. Uh, in the higher altitude farms, we usually have only a few species and also the windbreakers. Uh, that's because the sun exposure is, is less and the coffee needs oh, the coffee needs sun to, to do the photosynthesis and to produce coffee and produce flowers. So uh, we have hundreds of species of trees on our farm, farms and we have to prune it every year, prune, it, prune the shade every year. And uh, that's a very expensive and, and long task. And where does that come from? Do you have like a, a, I mean, business model means something, but I mean, other businesses that you've modeled your business after? Um, not really exactly one business, but I think it's more common sense, you mm -hmm. know, like taking care of, of the environment, taking care of nature. The nature and the environment are the ones that give us the fruit and give us the air we breathe and the water we drink. So. I think it's more common sense and also the people who who work with us you know the our team or team of workers it's common sense to to their family so you treat your family like your family right okay. <laughs> so so how many workers do you have from people that work at the mill to the different farms so during the dry season and the rainy season in the in the farm we have approximately 130 people working with us. Then when it's time to plant the farms and also when there is time to pick the coffee, the numbers can go up to 700. And in the milling station, when, when we're not busy, maybe five to eight people. But when a lot of cherry ar starts arriving, it goes all the way up to 30. Thanks for hanging out with me and Giancarlo this week. As a reminder, you can leave me a comment or feedback on my website at lucia.coffee podcast, and Lucia is spelled L-U-X-I-A. You can also sign up for my newsletter where I share pictures and some background and personal stories for these episodes before they come out. I also have a lot of resources on my website, including book recommendations and other articles that I've written. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee.